Hello. 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 <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Let's go! Hey, kids. Hey, Dad. War crimes will be prosecuted. I chose this profession, so therefore I, I earned beer. You want to go to the nat day? The feeling is definitely there. You don't know my name! It's a new morning in America. This is the old dude, Harry J. Reynolds. Step into my office. There's not going to be too many punks. Don't you stop worrying about the punks? Ah, you! That's my name! Yeah, let's go to the punk show. Introducing for your listening pleasure. Pick it up, pick it up. Episode 68. Top five ska albums. Michael, how are you? I'm good, Nate. Top five, hey? <laughs> you sound you sound worried by this. This is how we do it every every time. It's top uh. five every time. <laughs> you sound unfamiliar with this. Feels new. <laughs> it's not this, new, Mike. But it's like Okay, so picking something like top five ska is really tough, right? Like, that's like that's like a whole genre of music. That's not like it's a little bit different. It so, is a genre. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a whole genre. It's not, it's that's not true. like top five songs I want to hear on a mixtape. It's like <laughs> <laughs> we went into the great abyss for this one, Mike. Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited yeah. to do this one because we don't talk about ska enough. I mean, we generally have at least one pick that's ska from either you or me or a listener. But it's a genre that gets a, a little bit of flack sometimes. So. Just a touch. Just a touch. Just a t- the butt end for, of a lot of music jokes, let's say. And for no reason. Or the butt end of every hard times joke. I saw one just today. <laughs> really? Yeah. Was it the one, the one about the fourth wave, like the disease one? I kept getting sent that No, one. it was a different one. Oh. It was about some guy having 28 different personalities and all 28 like ska. Oh. You, you smiled. It's- I did. I can laugh. <laughs> But it couldn't just be us talking about ska, Mike. We need to bring an expert into the fold. Yes, an expert. And so we did. And you reached out to a guy by the name of Aaron Carnes. Carnes, am I saying that right? Carnes? Yes, it's Carnes. There he is. It's uh, author Aaron Carnes who re- yes. wrote the book In Defense of Ska. I'm assuming we'll be held to task here. And, uh, and there will be at least one good list out of this. One good song out of 15. <laughs> I'm sure all the picks are good. <laughs> You're new. So, you know, we'll give you a little bit of time to catch up here. <laughs> um, so, Aaron, you're from California. I am. Born and raised. Uh, yeah. Born and raised in California. Currently in Sacramento. Yeah. And life in, in California is going all right. Yeah, it's pretty good. Seems like we're moving towards uh, normalcy on a faster pace than I expected. So I'm kind of uh, optimistic or uh, cautiously optimistic that the summer is going to be not too uh, not too far from normal. Well, as someone who's nowhere near the other side, welcome <laughs> to the other side. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> was it pretty anticlimactic getting those those shots? Like, I, I was listening to a podcast where you know the early people were going in to get their mm-hmm. vaccines, and it was like they'd walk back out to the waiting room, and people were just on their phones, and it was like really like there should be balloons and like people yeah. throwing confetti everywhere. Was it was it pretty pretty dull and anticlimactic? 
So what's funny is I got my wife and I got the first shot like a month ago and that felt like an event in a way. Like we got there, there was a big line. It felt like a kind of a, a weird emotional thing, like, oh, it's happening, right? Yeah. And um, then we had to wait a month to get the second shot, which was today. And then that felt super anticlimactic. That just felt like there was no line today. We got in, <laughs> got our shot. And then we we're just like, oh, I guess that's it. I guess we're fully vaccinated. And then we went home and then we got really tired and you, we took a nap. Did you burn so, your masks? <laughs> we threw the masks in the trash. Never need those again, ever. <laughs> and that was today. That was today, yeah. So anything crazy you say could be blamed on the COVID mm-hmm. vaccine yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> yep, yep. We can expect that that halfway, email to follow. Halfway through, you're just going to have a fever dream. <laughs> oh, why did I agree to do this? This actually is a fever dream. <laughs> I've confused these with fever dreams yeah, many, I don't many times. Agreeing to do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So you wrote a book, the in in defense of ska. Mm-hmm. What what compelled you to write this book? Like I imagine you seeing like a hard times joke just one too many and being like, that's it. That's it. I'm writing a book. Or or was it like, was it just a gradual kind of, you know, uh need for for defending the genre that that you felt? Well, before Hard Times even got into the ska mockery uh, game, I was already working on this book. So we can't blame Hard Times for it. Okay. Um, It was actually more inspired by the fact that I was a working and still am a working journalist who grew up kind of ska being my favorite uh, musical genre, still loving the genre, and just kind of observing how the industry that I was in had no interest in it. Not only were was there no interest in new scub ends, but there was not even any real attempt to... My industry does this for every other subgenre. It's like, oh, somebody writes a book about how um, it, the 80s thrash metal scene in the Bay Area was this crazy lawless scene that like now it's kind of like probably was probably hated at the time, but now it's like looked back on fondly because, you know, those were the days kind of thing. And I felt like, why isn't anyone... Why isn't ska given that treatment by anyone outside of ska fandom you know the only people you hear talking about ska are people who are already ska fans everyone else kind of laughs about it i feel like it's actually one of two directions ska is either like jokes about it being goofy and not taken seriously or it's a very academic discussion about ska starting in jamaica then it went to england and then you know just kind of a very dry discussion it's not really it's not, you're not really like getting into it, like getting good stories and like the kind of books that you that they write about different subgenres. It's very like in the nitty gritty, very in- in compelling, very fun. Uh, tell, it takes the music seriously, kind of sees it as this time and place, important piece of culture. I, I felt like that was lacking. Yeah, that's what I really enjoyed about your book is like I've read a couple other books on Scott and it just felt like I was reading basically a Wikipedia article on Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where yours, I could feel like I related to because those are the bands that I wanted to see. Those are the bands that like our friends tried to emulate and stuff. And then at the same time, those are the things like all these people that I know that love ska. All of a sudden, were like, "You like ska? Ugh, that's gross. Are you stupid?" Like yeah. <laughs> Pitchfork doesn't like it. <laughs> I also yeah. like that you took shots at Pitchfork the whole time. That made me. That was like maybe my favorite part of the whole book because that's my whole thing. I'm always like, and people just like I worked at a record store for a long time, and everyone just be like, "This is the new thing." And if you like that old thing, you don't know what you're talking about in music anymore. Yeah. So that's what I feel like happened to Scott. People were like, it's great, it's great, it's great. And all these bands are trying to do it. Like, 
I feel like every punk band at some point there was like, okay, we gotta have a ska song now because it's cool. And then after oh, that, totally. they would, and then after that, they'd just be like, oh, I never did that. It's like almost like it was like some sort of dark <laughs> secret. And I thought your book yeah. really took shots at that aspect of it. And I'm just said, like, why? Like, there's no reason yeah. to like mock it. It's a, it's a legit form of music. And if it's fun and good, what's the point of making fun of it? Like, and yeah, sure, no other, yeah. no other genres get that kind of treatment. Like, no. And even a lot of like actual ska bands, like shifted gears and pretended like they never were ska bands when it stopped being like mainstream popular you know it was it was such a thing that you know bands would try to like sidestep it be like oh well we play uh rock with horns um you know and they kind of mixed up their sound a bit so it doesn't overtly sound ska yeah yeah like it was it was i like vividly remember that and i remember hearing like even i think and it's a band i like so i'm not taking a shot at them but like rx bandits Mm it's like that last rx bandits i'm like you would they're not a ska band anymore yeah and, and like, it was like experimental and stuff and the, it's it's almost like they were like no we're we're more into jazz than ska that's why we had our horn section mm-hmm. i thought it was interesting too like i didn't realize the parallels of ska and punk i always kind of felt like ska came after that big punk push in like the mid 90s and then mm-hmm. kind of that started to fade out and then ska started to to rise up kind of above it but i didn't or past it or whatever whatever way you want to categorize it but i didn't realize that kind of in the late 80s early 90s that they were actually in parallels in a lot of ways and how you talked about you know the diy scene and diy touring and like the advent of like all ages shows and the byofl and maximum rock and roll and just like that parallel kind mm-hmm. of, of ska bands and punk at the same time. I didn't realize that that, that trajectory was so one and the same for since kind of the beginning, I guess, of that, yeah. that second push. Yeah, I mean, I think we, when you talk about mainstream ska happening after punk, I think what happened was that the success of punk rock probably eased like major labels and corporate people's minds about ska because it was kind of, it was kind of similar enough. And so they sign some of these bands and they push these bands, they push them pretty similarly to similar audience, you know, to the, the sort of the mainstream punk sort of stuff that happened just before it. But in, in terms of the music's actual development, yeah, it was, it was happening since the early eighties. It's interesting too, right? Cause you would think that ska would be the, the softer approach to punk, right? Like the kind of the, the intro kit to, to mm-hmm. punk rock as opposed to the other way around. Well, I think punk makes is a little more straightforward. Okay. Um, you know, from a marketing point of view, I think that probably for years they didn't really know what it was or how to market it or who the audience was. I mean, especially if you go back in the 80s, you have like you know, this like multiracial bands and audiences and some of them are wearing suits and and look like skinheads and some of them look like punk rockers. It's like, what is this music? Who's this audience? And I, and I think a big thing that happened too, is that the two-tone ska bands in England. So those bands, you know, special selector madness back in 1979 to 1981, that was sort of their heyday in England. Those bands were so big in England. They were like top 40 bands. But then those bands attempted to crack the charts in the U.S. and it didn't chart at all. It became just cult music, just very fervent underground audience. And so I think you had labels look at that and say, if the two-tone bands from England who are, you know, sort of, let's say, starting this music, not really, they're not really starting ska, they're sort of starting the ska revival. They're the ones that innovating this style, can't chart in the U.S., 
why would an American knockoff band chart here? I think that was either the explicit or subconscious attitude about the underground American ska bands in the 80s that were drawing huge audiences at clubs. We're getting like some radio play going on. Labels weren't interested. So, yeah, I think like the fact that ska became more overtly part of punk in, in a certain segment of it, both visually and the music wise, I think that's why labels came around in like mid 90s. They were like, OK, this is marketable. It's and I think it probably in a way was probably more American like the, a lot of the 80s ska bands in the U.S. were very, very into two-tone ska, and like they took all their cues from it. Like, this is how you play ska. You know, you 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 wear suits. You kind of you talk about politics. You have, you know, the bands are mixed race. It's very danceable. You know, all mm-hmm. of that stuff. Sort of like the New York ska sort of stuff stuck to that, right? Like, I think more uh, so. Yeah, like definitely. the Moon ska stuff, like. I say it kind of stayed along those lines more so. Yeah. I yeah. mean it was it was eclectic and I think the I think that there was a higher jazz component to the New York bands than even the two-tone bands so just because mm-hmm. of that sort of the atmosphere of New York. So you have all this sort of jazzy elements too. Mm-hmm. So like for for us in Canada, I didn't like I don't think we saw the same heights of like 90s ska punk here. Yeah. Like it didn't it didn't like it didn't chart in the same way like Real Big Fish might have, they were never on the radio here, like, or mm-hmm. Lesson Jake or any of those kind of like. Oh, they weren't really, huh? No, they didn't, they didn't make the radio here. Like Boston's did, and no doubt, but no doubt, again, like sort of, and Boston's already had a little bit of a cult rock following, I think. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, like none of those bands were on the radio here or like they might, like Goldfinger was on, like we had much music, which is kind of like MTV, like mm-hmm. Goldfinger was on there a little bit and stuff, but so it never hit the same way here. So for us, it always felt like, all that stuff was still underground. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, yeah, like, yeah. to us, it was like still like secretive. Like I know when we went to our, our one high school dance, we got them to play the, the impression, something off the impression that I get. And we were all wearing suits and dancing and everyone looked at us like we were like freaks. Like we never, like they didn't know idea. They had no idea what was going on. Yeah, no, it became like a full on trend. But the, the people that became a full on trend too were actually slightly younger than me because I graduated high school in 93 and mm-hmm. so I think the kids that were still in high school in like 96, 97, those were the ones that so that's caught us. it. Yeah. Yeah. Caught it as more of a, this is a, this is a popular thing happening now. So I'm curious to know, when does it shift? Like, you know, after the nineties kind of, um, you know, big uprising and you talk about it in your book that, you know, like ska never really went away. Like it, mm-hmm. it kept going and the, the bands that were successful with it still had huge turnouts to their shows, yeah. but like within pop culture, it definitely shifted. And like, I feel like punk, you know, like after it's big kind of like, um, uprising, it didn't like become kind of like a joke or dorky in the no. same way that ska did. And I'm curious <laughs> to know, like what, what made that happen? I would say 99, 2000, somewhere in those two years is when it became unpopular in the U.S. at least. I mean, it's different in other countries. If you go to England, there was actually this boom of ska punk in like 2000, you know, early 2000s. But in the U.S., that's when it dropped off. And um, I think almost immediately once it dropped off, it became an embarrassing thing. Because it was so marketed as a trend that it suddenly became this ridiculous trend that you were a part of or your friend was a part of. And so everyone everyone who was part of it from as a trend got embarrassed by it. 
I think that people who were already into it, it was like, you know, I like ska, whatever. It's not like I didn't get swept up in a ska fa- as craze, but those that did, I think they felt kind of embarrassed by it, you know, or, you know, some of them, some of them continued to be fans, but, you know, and I think that the, the joke of it grew over time. I think that that's the thing that kind of, um, that was one of the motivators for me for writing this book is how it seemed like the joke grew over time and the lack of respect for the genre grew over time. Like rather than people over time figuring out that there was more to the music than was popular, it's almost like they learned less about ska as time went on. It was almost like the more the years pressed on, the more it was that ska really was six bands on the radio and they all sounded like this and they all looked like this and everyone wore fedoras to the show and, you know, like to some weird fantasy that wasn't ever true. Mm-hmm. And like TV shows started to adopt these jokes, I would say over the last decade. And I feel like that definitely like reinforced this idea that, Oh, you do you remember in 1996 and 1997 when we all just got swept up in this crazy phase where we all, all the band geeks were popular for two years. And, <laughs> you know, that's, it's like this, again, like it's just a weird thing that didn't actually happen. I'm, I'm sure it's a reality for some people, but, you know, the bands were really popular, you know, before they got on MTV, they, they were all playing big shows or at least like big size clubs. Mm-hmm. So there was a huge audience for ska before it became mainstream. At, right around the same time, there was a swing revival. Yeah. Right. And they kind of get lumped together because of the timing and because, and the swing revival, I feel like is exactly what people pretend ska is. Right. Like there wasn't a swing scene for a decade, <laughs> right? It was a thing that kind of launched, became a re- like actual trend revival, and then it died. There was no, there wasn't swing bands left over. There wasn't swing fans after. One night, there's some guy in a zoot suit that's very angry. He's just brought, he's got a cherry popping daddy's tattoo yeah. and a squirrel nut zipper's tattoo on the other side, and he's angry. His swing the- dudes look tough, man. I would oh, yeah. want to mess with those guys. <laughs> I'd say that about the swing bands too. Like Cherry Pop and Daddies were originally a band that did ska, like funk and swing. And so they did they went swing full on when that started catching on. And then after that caught on, and it's like they kind of they kind of reverted more to back to getting back into ska and stuff. And then you had like squirrel nut zippers. Uh, I can't remember the, that guy's name, but he kind of went in this whole different route where he's doing like roots, roots music and blues and all this other stuff. So like that stuff, there wasn't any leftover from that stuff at all. Yeah. That was a weird phase. <laughs> yeah. So the way the show works, Aaron, is we pick songs, we pick our top five, uh, top five of the, the, the category, I mm-hmm. guess. Okay. I don't know why it was so hard to find that word, but I found it. Category is the word, um, and uh, and we shout them out, and we talk about we talk about our, our top five. So our top five albums, as it were, of of ska. And you're the guest, so okay. we're gonna let you go first, and uh, and just hit us over the head with with your number one pick. Okay, this is not my definitive best ska five albums ever. They're just five albums that I feel really into at the moment that I felt like. Just throwing out tonight. Okay, I, I support you in this. In I don't want to be. I don't want to be held accountable as like I'm <laughs> saying the five best Sky albums ever. But you were the expert, so it's okay if I make the mistake. But <laughs> <laughs> no. no, I was. It's a deliberate choice. I want to deliberately kind of mix it up. Um, 
to diversify it over different years and different kinds of bands, but not necessarily the best bands. But ever. it is on the record. You're, you're aware of that, that it's on the record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's on the okay. record. I mean, they're all okay. good albums, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> okay. So my first pick, I'm going to go with, um, Fishbone's debut EP, which was in like 85 or 86. The song on there I'm going to pick is party at ground zero. Oh, so good. I would argue that Fishbone is, if not the best, one of the best American bands, American, you know, rock and roll bands or whatever you want to call it. I think they deserve tons and tons of props. It's bold. It's It's a bold statement. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard the new stuff they're doing with Fat Records? I haven't. No. They haven't released it yet, but they've released videos. Yeah. Really good. Really good stuff. Really uh, creative. I mean, I always felt like they were kind of like they were a different brand within the ska genre. Like they weren't kind of in that all encompassing sound like it it just had like it was chaotic and they used like weird instruments like theremins. And Angelo's kind of a a strange guy, too. Right. Which brought a whole different layer of of just it was it was different. They were in the early days, they were much more ska. They were always a little bit eclectic. But, you know, the, the debut EP is like four out of six of those songs is straight up ska. That's probably the highest percentage of any of their releases in terms of ska to non-ska songs. Um, and I think that they, you know, from what I, because I, I interviewed Chris, the keyboardist and trombone player for my book, and I got the impression from him that they were really about ska in the beginning. And they really connected to ska and playing ska, and they just liked it a lot. And uh, I think the more they got older, more, you know, got better at their instruments and just became more eclectic musicians, the more they continued to want to just see what they could do because they were always about challenging themselves. They were always about challenging the audience. They were always about being able to play with bands of different genres and and being able to win people over no matter what kind of audience it was. Yeah, because like I know like metalheads and stuff like fishbone it's like it's a weird thing mm-hmm. that they, they've they've crossed over they're like or like hip-hop kids like fishbone and like yeah like they're just all over so it, i i don't like i never even knew they were a ska band until like way later until i started getting into ska and i'd be like oh they were actually a ska band i always figured they were like a funk band or something like that more so and they do funk really well too and they do metal really well i mean they do all that like really well mm-hmm. yeah i saw them the last time i saw them was right before the pandemic i they played at a uh metal festival here in Sacramento <laughs> called Aftershock. They killed and people love them. <laughs> so I I tried to make my list before reading your book cuz I didn't want to okay. I didn't want to be swayed in any way <laughs> shape or form. But as I read the book, I'm like my list reads like your book, um, almost chronologically. Um, so my first pick is uh, is a band that I, I didn't realize was ska until kind of later on. Uh, I chose Operation Ivy. Uh, the album is Energy, uh, and the song is Sound System, all the way from back in 1989. I think, like, yeah, it wasn't until many years later that I even realized it was ska. And, like, it's it's such a different brand of ska um, Op Ivy was one of those bands that like really got me into punk rock. Uh, they were one of the bands that kind of helped me make my transition from alternative to, to punk. And then, you know, ultimately to, to appreciating, um, ska music as well. Um, and I mean, this album, like, it's crazy how long ago it came out and like, you know, that a teenager wrote the lyrics that are on this album that still like stand up today in such mm-hmm. a really like meaningful and powerful way. And we've had lots of conversations, you know, about like, 
you know, those singers like today having to sing stuff that they wrote when they were like 16 on stage in their 30s or 40s. But yeah. I mean, like, I think any of this, Jesse Michaels would still be proud to to sing on stage because they're just they're such good lyrics. Um, yeah. And, and I just think like they had such a different approach to it all. I mean, you know, I, I wasn't listening to them in 89. It, it was it was many years later till till I found them. But like, um, you know, there's not a lot of bands that have ha, have kind of done it in the way that they they did it, you know, bringing that like almost like an aggressive tone to ska music, which really had no aggressive tone before that, mm-hmm. um, as far as I can tell. And just the way that Jesse kind of delivered his vocals, like almost like in a, in like a, uh, like the same way a rapper might, you know, like just trying to fit like a ton of words into each phrase, which, you know, like sound system, uh, has, is very much one of those songs. I did have a question for you about, uh, there's, there's like a sentence in your book that says after Op Ivy broke up, Tim and Matt start the dance hall crashers. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that is the band, the dance hall crashers, or if that is just a, a name that that they chose, it's the, it's band, the same eh? band, but they <laughs> they were not in the band very long. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I had no idea that yeah. that kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's any recordings with them. Um, I don't know anyone who's seen the version of Dance Hall Crashers with them in it. So, and I don't even think the uh, Karina and uh, the other singer. I don't think they were in the band at the same time as them. So it was okay. like, yeah, it was. They started it and left, and then that band sort of got its footing and, and became its own I, I, thing. I feel like on one of the CDs, there's a mention of them. Yeah. Like maybe the first CD, it says something about them, but that's because I'd read, heard that before, but I don't know why. So um, I think that, and I'm not, uh, I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but I remember hearing that between Op Ivy and Rancid, that Tim and Matt were just like starting all these different bands, like, and either they were failing or they like got disinterested. So there was like this period of time and Dancehall Crashers was within that. And then Rants had happened and then that became the band. Right. Michael. All right. Uh, okay. So uh, I went with Slapstick and their self-titled mm. compilation. Good choice. Because I've always kind of been attracted to like the ska core sound a lot too. And I feel like they were one of the bands that did it really well, but also kind of broke up before there were anything. I only really hound found out about them through Asian man comps. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later on, I didn't even know until like years later, they had anything to do with Alkaline Trio or Lawrence Arms, which is pretty sad. Just because again, those bands never really made it big here. None of them. Yeah. And so like, yeah, I just, it's one of those, one of those things that like someone put, I'm thinking it might've been Nate put a slapstick song on a, like a mixtape for me. So it just, it's one of those albums that reminds me of being in high school and like first discovering this kind of stuff. So that's it. That's the pick I went with. And I chose the song Nate B because nice. I think that was the song that was on the mixtape. And if you made it for me, Nate, I would, I hope you picked it just because it said Nate. <laughs> Self-promotion. <Yeah. laughs> I only pick songs that did, have Nate did in, you, the, uh, in did the title. You, did you get to go to the Asian man like 15? Yeah. I, I saw them play at that. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. They were, um, they seemed surprised to be on stage the whole set. That's it was funny. They were just kind of like, "Why we do? What are we doing? How did this happen?" <laughs> That's kind of how they 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 acted. But they were good. But they're also a band that gets a pass too. Like no one's ever like, "Oh, those guys were silly." Yeah. They, and even they though, they, is it because of the punk thing again, or is it like 
I just think, yeah, I think you're right with, with up IV with slapstick. There's no trace of silly that you can pin on them. So, so they just get a pass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, bands that aren't really silly still get the, um, get the silly label. Like I think boss tones aren't actually a silly band, but because they wear plaid, mm-hmm. it sort of plays into the, like, Oh, those, you know, plaid. I also think they're an easy shot because anybody in mainstream knows them like yeah. because of their, like, because they hit it so big. And plus they're in like movies and things like that. Yeah. So like, yeah. Did you know that um, Slapstick were offered a, a record deal with Epitaph? And they said, they said no. <laughs> <laughs> they said, we don't want to sell out. And then they, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, classic, classic teenage punk, hey? <laughs> when you're just like, no, I don't want to be a sellout. And then you're like, oh. I'd- sell out to the indie <laughs> label. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, back in those days, uh, Epitaph was like, by punks, was considered just the same thing as a major. I mean, sure. Epitaph bands were banned from Gilman. In the nineties, so it was wild. It was a debated issue. I mean, some people were like, "Well, Epitaph is run by a punk rocker, and it curates the music, you know, in this style." But other people were like, "No, too big." I think you still get that. Like, I remember hearing about bands like potentially signing to Fat or like any of the even like Stomp here. If like someone heard they were signing to Stomp or like even Endearing Records, which is like a basically like. me running a label like we had a label it's like <laughs> like it doesn't mean anything and then people would be like that's a sellout you're on a label fishbone debut ep party at ground zero operation ivy energy sound system and slapstick nate b off the self-titled compilation
All right. So number two, start us off, Aaron. All right. I'm going to go with Emmy 330, um, Ultra Panic, and the song is KKK Highway. Nice. That's an Asian man pull, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, nice. Um, Emory 330, I felt like were one of those bands from the 90s that didn't get the attention I felt like they deserved. They were one of my favorite bands back then. They had, I thought, I felt like their songs were weird in the sense that they were always infused with like indie rock sort of elements. And so I think to some ska people, maybe it was a little too weird, but people who were into like that alternative rock or indie rock, you know, it was too ska sounding. So they had a smaller audience because of that. In the book, I actually highlighted their album Crab Rangoon because, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of put Crab Rangoon and Ultra Panic neck and neck. So, but I chose Ultra Panic for this show because I think KKK Highway is like that's their song. That's, that's a killer song. Yeah, <laughs> Crab Rangoon was the only one I had. Yeah, that's a great. So. I love Crab Rangoon. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed you didn't pick that one, but oh, so <laughs> close, so close. Yeah, well, it's it's funny. I kind of find like there's a resurgence in respecting them. Like mm-hmm. they're like back in when that came out, it was like, yeah, they were, they were kind of like just there, they were mentioned in bands. Like they were on Asian man. That was kind of just yeah. like the gist of it for people I knew, but like through blogs and stuff like that and conversations, it seems like there's a lot more respect for them now than there ever was before. I think some of that too is because Dan Pot has continued to tour like relentlessly and stuff. And now Dan Pot has is in Jeff Rosenstock's band which is so like, it's awesome and kind of funny too. Cause he's just in the background playing keyboards and, <laughs> you know, a little saxophone, whatever he's but like, his, you know, his solo albums did well too. Like, I've, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Here's a question. We're like it or not, Aaron, you're the sure. expert in the room tonight. So <laughs> okay. Okay. we've saved all our ska questions for you. Hopefully I can answer them. <laughs> <laughs> so Scott, like, Again, like, you know, when we started the show out, Mike was talking about like, this is a massive, you know, pool. This is a big, big genre to to talk about. Just like we wouldn't say, what are your top five punk albums? But here we are saying, what are your top five ska albums? Mm-hmm. But like, what, what to you classifies a band or even a song? Because I mean, lots of bands have ska songs, right? But like, what classifies that song to be a ska song to you? Well, that's a, that is a tricky question because ska, traditionally ska, you know, from Jamaica has these certain elements to it, you know, the, the, there's certain kinds of drum beats and bass and guitar elements. And the, most of that hasn't really translated once it got revived by two-tone because it was mixed with seventies punk rock, but you can see the trace of it. You know, that you can see the trace of the upbeats and the walking bass and sort of the one drop style drum, even though a lot of times the drumming is more punk rock. So in my opinion, ska is typically fusion fusion music, especially ska revival is fusion music. So I'm very liberal with what I call ska, but I feel like it has to have been rooted in ska or influenced by ska. The band has to, you know, to the band, ska is an element of their influence. I think when people hear music that is upbeat and has horns and maybe it is in the ballpark of ska sonically, but that's not what the band was coming from. I wouldn't say it's ska. I think it has to be something that's part. It has to be part of the mixture of the the band members themselves that they're coming from a place where that's an influence to them. So it's tricky. Like it's hard to say. Like to call to call out what is ska or not. I think it makes it tricky. But I think it's 
for the most part, you can kind of bands will kind of tell you if they're if they identify as ska or ska, as a ska influenced band. Right. Yeah, because I think like for us, like we kind of you know with that that mid to like late nineties like punk rock all the bands at the time really had like you know like one or two kind of ska songs right where yeah. it had the the upstrokes it had the walking bass and it had that kind of you know that that drum beat that that characteristic within the drum beat right and we all just called that well that's their ska song or whatever right more specifically it comes down to the fact that we were talking about a band called Doug and the Slugs not too long ago. Oh, and gosh. Do you know Doug and the Slugs? Are you no. familiar with Doug and the Slugs? No, okay. just I'm going <laughs> to send you a Doug and the Slugs song. They're a Canadian okay. band. Kind of like I would say like dad rock, but like not dad rock in t- by today's standards, but like when we were kids, dad rock by those standards. And they have a couple songs that I feel like are ska songs. And because you haven't heard it, I can't call you to the carpet and say Aaron who's right is it me or is it Mike but I'm going to send it to you and then we'll 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 I'll read the email that you send me back saying Nate this is definitely a ska song thank you so much for sharing it Doug and the Slugs is my new favorite ska band (laughs) does that sound good sound like a plan yeah okay I feel like you only agreed to do this interview to ask that question (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I love watching your face just turn as you saw where I was going with this whole, the last, I don't know, six minutes. <laughs> Doug's no longer with us, by the way. Oh. Doug, Doug, uh, the slugs outlived Doug, which <laughs> is not something you would expect, but it happened. <laughs> Uh, my second pick is, uh, well, if you read along in the book and you go from Operation Ivy uh, down the pages, you'll soon find yourself uh, reading about the suicide machines. Mm-hmm. Not in a big way, but in a little way. Mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely a predictable album for me to pick within this topic because this, uh, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again, this is one of my top albums of all time. I uh, I love this album. Destruction by definition is just so good. And like, they hit at that at that time, right? Where they were able, their first album was a major. Which I, I don't know. Was there a lot of bands at that time that their first album was on a major? It happened. I usually second seemed to be more common. Yeah, you know, like you got to prove yourself a little bit, right? But yeah, they had like they had some tapes and EPs, but yeah, essentially their first major album was a was released on Hollywood. So I, I listened to a podcast recently talking with Jay Navarro and he said that when they went and did this record or this record, you know, when they agreed to do it, um, that they went and like they they spent all their money like on recording. Like it was like, here's your money for recording. And they're like, oh, so that's the money we spend on recording. And they spent huge amounts of money on just the recording and then, you know, never really had much like they didn't they didn't keep anything for themselves really and then had to go hit the road and you know uh tour tour the album and then it was time to do battle uh battle hymns is that the second one yeah battle mm-hmm. hymns second yeah oh. so they came back to do battle hymns and uh they were like fuck that we're not doing that again so they spent the least amount of time possible <laughs> to record that album just so they could take some money home with them and i think they'd only had like half of it written but it was just it was interesting to hear about this band you know that basically you know got that golden ticket you know with their first record and then kind of made you know those those cliche mistakes that you that you might make in that first record but it still stands up to me as as their best record yeah, they um Jay Jason and for my book he told me that they were they were kind of being scouted by different labels um 
and that they only ended up going with Hollywood because they just kind of really vibed with the the guy, the A&R guy that was like flying out to see them and stuff. And he seemed like on the same level or something, or he, you know, he seemed like he respected them that it was actually into the band themselves, not like trying to make a quick buck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you guys caught this, but like this week on somebody's social, either the bands or, or Jay Navarro's was, um, that, that Nick Offerman had yeah. shouted out the suicide machines in his latest book or his autobiography. Yeah. yeah apparently, <laughs> apparently, cause at the time he was like making, working in props or whatever. Yeah. So he made it like a whole, like hundreds of pub caps for, I don't know which video, but it was for one of the suicide machines videos. I think it was for no face. Was it for no face? Yeah. Okay. Which is, or no, I think it was for SOS. Sorry. Okay. That, yeah. that was the, I, I forgot that, was that part, one. but yeah, it was one of the music videos. So the song I chose uh, actually reached 31 on the billboards, which I just read today and I was kind of shocked by. Um, and it's no face, not mm-hmm. the one that the, that Nick Offerman assisted them with the video. That was SOS. You didn't know that Aaron. I knew that. Oh, so I'm God. the expert, I guess now, All right. but <laughs> I'll have to win back my expertise. <laughs> you've got, you've got three more picks to do it. So good luck to you, sir. <laughs> Michael. All right. So, so this one's kind of a cheat because this is one of the, and you brought it up. It's one of the classic, like, is it really a ska song just because it has horns? And, uh, I mean, it's, it's not really a ska song, but the band is. So I went with Link 80s cover of Harvester of Sorrow. Link 80s is just one of those bands that I've always loved. Uh, like I was really drawn to them when I heard them on, I think it was on the first Asian Mad Comp, the mm-hmm. mail order one. Yeah. And I just always loved them. And, uh, I got really into them. They were really hard to find here. I like, I spent like 80 bucks, I think importing 17 reasons. Is that the album? 17 reasons. That was yeah. their first album. Yeah. yeah. I spent like 80 bucks importing it at a record store. Cause I couldn't get it anywhere. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I just always love them. And then, uh, this cover is just amazing. <laughs> so I love it, but I wouldn't call it a ska song, but because they're a ska yeah. band, I'm cheating, putting it on there. Yeah. Um, their second guitarist who from 1998 and on, Adam Davis, he's like one of my closest friends. Yes, I got that from your book. And I, I didn't realize you were in Omnigon with him. Uh, yeah, I played a few songs. Yeah. yeah. Him and I grew up in Gilroy together. Um, he uh, he was in like the later version of Flat Planet, the very mm-hmm. tail end of my band, Flat Planet. And then he got Link. He found a, an ad for Link 80. You know, and, and we have a thing in the Bay Area called, at the time called BAM Magazine. He saw an ad and he like, applied for it basically it was a long process but he eventually be- became their guitarist yeah him and i have we d- we're doing an in defense of scott podcast that we've been doing yeah it's him and i um because we had a label before and not like just a small label and like i reached out to i believe aaron Nagel, uh, yeah and he got me like uh got us in touch with mike park and then we got like a bunch of songs for a compilation just because oh, of them. cool like they were just like cool guy i was like it was kind of at the dawn of being able to use the internet. So it was kind of neat to reach out to bands and be like, oh, they're like normal people. And they'll, <laughs> <laughs> they're not these superstars. So it was cool. That's my plug for them being really nice and Mike Park being really nice. And Mike doesn't do a lot of plugs for nice people. No, Mike Park might be the nicest person too for that. Like he just sent us like a stack of songs that said, use whatever you want. Just give me a free CD, which is pretty cool. Like considering nice. like the other bands we dealt with were like, you got to talk to my lawyer and all this stuff. And like, <laughs> now Mike, Mike is like, uh, he's like super stand up guy. And like, I've never ever 
heard of a band say that Mike is ripping them off. And I swear almost every, almost every label, no matter how cool and like, um, whatever hip or underground or DIY it is, there's some band that's got a story about that. They feel like they're ripped off or something, Mm -hmm. but I've never heard a story about that with Mike and Asian man. Like in your book, you talk about skanking pickle a lot, which is kind of, they were my favorite band. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Cause like, I didn't like we skanking pickle was like, what band you kind of heard about here, but after again too, like, so I didn't even realize how long they'd been around or how big they were until I read your book. Like they were actually playing yeah. huge shows. <laughs> they were. And, uh, their recordings, I don't, I don't feel like they have that. See, they operation Ivy, they had energy. Energy is just a phenomenal recording. And I think because of how good the recording is of, of energy, the legacy of operation Ivy just blew up past their time and is like, grown but skank and pickle they were an amazing band live they had some great songs they had some not great songs i don't feel like they had any recordings that were of that caliber so i feel like they kind of the legacy kind of went down for people who weren't there at the time to see them unfortunately mm-hmm. but i feel like some of mike's stuff post skank and pickle has been he's left behind some really good recordings i think like his chinky stuff is top notch i think that's actually yeah. some of his best uh, recordings with those Jinkies recordings. And then even like some of his new Bruce Lee band stuff is like really good. Like I feel like he's kind of got new energy. Yeah. The new Jinkies, the one that Jinkies EP that came out last year was pretty yeah, good that's too. Great. Like, yeah. Yeah. MU330, Ultra Panic, KKK Highway. Suicide Machines, Destruction by Definition, No Face, and Link 80, Harvester of Sorrow off Punko's Metal, which is not a uh, Scott album. <laughs> I'm trying to justify it. (laughs) Did you know that the KKK adopted a highway just a few miles away from my mom's house? They pay the money and they burn up the sign. I guess they dress up in sheets and go pick up the trash, the trash, the trash. They pick up the trash, the trash, the trash. They pick up the trash. They should know it when they see it.
arrived at, at your third choice, Aaron. Why don't you tell us what your third choice is? All right. So to keep in to keep in theme of the last year in the pandemic, I'm going to choose a new band who came out last year during the pandemic. Nice. nice. Um, my favorite new band. They're called Bad Operation. Oh. Nice. And uh, their new album is self-titled, so it's Bad Operation. And the song is Bagel Rooks. Great choice. Great choice. I think bo- both Mike and I really like this album. It's a oh, late it's cut. amazing, yeah. Late cut for me in this. I'm glad I didn't pick it now. <laughs> They're actually my next three picks, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those guys, they um, have never played a show. because That's their first, wild. <laughs> yeah, their first show was booked for like March 14th or something. So they canceled that show like an hour or two before it went on just because that's when that's when things were sort of like what's happening, you know, we do have, I don't think it, I don't think they had a strict lockdown, but I think everyone was getting kind of freaked out and yeah. not sure if they should do events at that point. Yeah. And they're like I, I know Brian from Pears is in it, which mm-hmm. seems odd. Um but like I think there are other guys from other bands that are in it that aren't from ska bands. Is that most of the band members were in ska bands way back in the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s. And okay. then they went into other bands um, like Greg and D-Ray. Uh, they had a band called All and the drummer. They had a band called All People, which was like kind of more indie rock stuff. It it varied all over the place. All People went in different directions, but it was, I guess, mostly just like an indie rock type band. Um uh, Bad Operation is sort of like their return to ska. Like they're those guys, most of those guys' roots are in ska. You know, they had a band. Uh, they had a couple bands back in the the, the mid two thousands New Orleans times, like uh, Fatter Than Albert was one of them. I can't remember the other names. Um, and they were, you know, they were popular back in their day, locally at least. And that you know, mm-hmm. ska means a lot to those guys. So this is like, um, for them, this is like going back to the music that they love the most. Do you support the new term, new tone? Um, I support it. Those bands really want to use it, but to me, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of it. I think it's oh. whatever. I, I like the spirit behind the label. I like that they're um, trying to take ownership of a like a new, a new like generation of bands, and that the new tone is sub, like a key component to new tone is it's sort of like being political and all this stuff, and that there isn't a specific sound attached to it. So I like the idea behind it, but I just uh, I don't know. I find it interesting that like they are getting respect from like music snobs now. It's like, yeah, like, like an, uh, like Brooklyn vegans writing about all these bands now. And I'm like, I yeah. thought that was really interesting. I was like, cause Brooklyn vegans kind of like pitchforky in some yeah. <laughs> And I was oh, like, they're well, all in on ska now. Yeah. They're all in on they it. Threw it's in like, on, they threw in ska. Yeah. So I was like, this is interesting. It's cool. I kind of hope. And I, I know a number of these bands have taken the joke and like ran with a joke too. And just been like, fuck it. I don't care if it's a joke. This is what we yeah. like to do, which I I really respect. And I'm hoping that because these journal these other music journalists have started to like it again, it's not gonna it's, the joke's gonna go away. Most of the band members of this sort of new generation of band are like millennial age, maybe a little younger, mm-hmm. but they were too young to be in totally wrapped up in the '90s ska moment. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they like I don't think they relate to it either in terms of nostalgia or in terms of the the embarrassment or the or the joke. It's sort of like mm-hmm. ancient history in a way, which I think is good. That's the, yeah, it's that's a good thing, needed. right? <laughs> yeah, they're they're very divorced from it. I mean, in the same way that I like two tone ska and Jamaican ska as a '90s kid, it was not my era. I, I listened to it as like the earlier stuff that happened mm-hmm. before me, but I don't like connect to it as like 
like that. I was I was there when I heard these songs released, and you know, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so my next pick is uh, going to be arguably the uh, the most commercial of mm. all the ska records that were ever released. I'm making that claim. I, I don't know if that's actually true, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I tend to do that. I tend to make outrageous claims and then be called out on it after the fact. It's what makes this show exciting, Aaron. My pick is is another of one of my one of my all time favorite records. Um, it's the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Uh, the album's Let's Face It. And uh, I chose the song Noise Brigade, um, partly because I think that song really sets up the album in a really good way. Mm -hmm. um, I think especially in today's day and age, there's we've gone so far, like in the digital age of music, like the organization of a record is no longer of any importance or is of is less important than it once was. And uh, I, I just really like the way this this song sets it up. Like when I hear that song come on on a shuffle, I'm like, well, now I got to go. I got to listen to the whole album. Like that's just, mm -hmm. we got to throw down. Let's face it now. I didn't realize this was a, a certified platinum album too, mm, um, yeah. which is again, like, I don't know how many ska records uh, or how many ska bands did that. Not um, many. No. No. And like the thing I love about this record is it was super commercial. It really like kicked off, you know, like it was it was the Boss Tones moment for sure. You saw them in in a lot of stuff after this, I think. Um, I mean, not to say that they weren't around before, but I mean, this was this was the moment. Right. And even in within that. This record um, has a lot of commentary about violence, about racism, about intolerance, about drug and alcohol abuse. And I just think that's that's like perfect timing for this this record to explode and have a lot of this like messaging that's inherent to the punk rock scene mm -hmm. um, to, to be pushed out like into the mainstream world. Um, so that's my pick. The Boss Tones. Let's face it. Uh, Noise Brigade. That's a good pick. I, I I have to hand it to Boston's. They they were able to make uh you know like you said a super commercial album. That's a very slick produced album, and I think they oh, pulled yeah. it off. And their early albums were very raw, and I felt mm -hmm. like they they they're good as a raw band, and they're good as a fairly slick, well produced band too. They I think they've like managed to do both well. Yeah, the Boston's are just they're one of those bands that. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm glad they're still standing. It's crazy to me that they're, you know, on doing their next release on uh, on Hellcat. Yeah, I, I think it's great. But yeah, you know, I mean, this going from certified platinum to uh, to Hellcat Records twenty late twenty years later. <laughs> I'm surprised Hellcat Records is still around. Sure, I mean, I think it's probably just because it's Tim's baby, and sure, he's he could probably do whatever he wants. It's also interesting too that Boston's. I think they were signed in like 93. So they were, had a few, they had a few major label records. Yeah. That didn't really, didn't really hit that bad, you know, that big. And that it like, it took a few and then they did, then they really hit hard. Cause they're in Clueless before, like Clueless is before that comes out. Yeah. Too, yeah. Right? Clueless like, was like 95. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was the first time I ever heard of them. And I, yeah. And I didn't know it was Scott at the time. I just would have been like, Oh, that's interesting. I like that band. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look how many guys are in that band. Yeah. And then and then they covered Kiss and that, that sold it on me. So <laughs> one of the things I love about ska is it's I've it's rare that I've been to a show with a ska band where it isn't fun. 
Like, yeah. it's, it's like, like punk shows. Sometimes you go and you're like, you have a good time or you're like, or you can leave kind of pissed off or something like that. But I've never been to a ska show where I've been like, oh, that was a waste of my time. Like, it's always fun. Even if the band isn't that good, it's just like the atmosphere is just, there's something about it that doesn't feel like depressing or mm-hmm. yeah. so like, so this band is without, I think it's the last band I saw before the pandemic hit and it was and it was i didn't want to go to the show that night but my little brother convinced me i should come with him and it's the planet smashers so nice uh the album is mixed messages which isn't even remotely their best album i didn't know we were doing albums so again my my fault (laughs) (laughs) you can always say you can always just say their best album it's true <laughs> no, he has to call it out each and every time. I had no idea. I mean, I just want to clarify. I want to clarify. I'm a, I'm half of this show, but I had no clue what we were doing. <laughs> anyway, uh, the song is called "Tear It Up." It features uh, another Montreal band called Motel Raphael, who I really like. Um, like, I don't. Did the Stomp bands do make any noise in the states? With like, I don't a little know. Bit. If, like, I mean, we we knew Planet Smashers. Um, yeah. yeah, not too much past that though. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm familiar with the label and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like, they're our big thing here, and like, they're just like they were basically Canada's version of Asian Man Records. Like, if you were looking for a good ska yeah. punk band, they put it out. They toured. They did everything DIY in Canada. But they kind of turned their back on ska too, which is interesting. Other than the Planet Smashers, they just like they started signing bands that were more punk or more hardcore, or they tried to yeah. do some of the emo bands and stuff like that. It just never worked the same way. And now they've gone back, I think, to more of the. They roots. took a big break too, didn't they? Yeah, but I think the Planet it, Smashers. No, I think they've no? just always been around. They, there's got. I think it's only really just Matt left. Right. I think it's Matt. That new baby. record is awesome. Like really I, good. I didn't expect that at all. Bad Operation, the album is Bad Operation, the song is Bagel Rooks. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Let's Face It, Noise Brigade, and... The Planet Smashers, Tear It Up, Off Mixed Messages.
of these new bands, the the quote unquote new tone bands. I mean, they just call it that because they're all friends, but right. <laughs> like uh, cat bite, I think is another really good one. You know, yeah. there's, there's all yeah. kinds of those great bands. It's funny. Cause I feel like they all, they all sort of include me in a weird way in their scene, but I'm like so much older than them, that it's kind of like, you're dad. Funny. Yeah. But it's like, okay, that's, I'm down with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I support you guys. I try to like, I try to push the new bands on people, you know, I mean, my book's not full of new bands, but I try to, when people want to talk about ska, like what they should get into, I try to push new bands because that's the kind of bands you can get into now and see them in their prime. I like that you brought that up in the book. Like, I like that you brought up like Jer. Jer, yeah. I love like, Jer. I don't know Jer, but everything about their social media presence is awesome because there's an explanation. There's like constant promotion of other bands. It's not self-serving at all. There's mm-hmm. like a political message. There's like the reasons you should be checking these bands out, et cetera. Yeah. It's awesome. And like, I've, I've learned so much about these new bands just from that Instagram follow. Yeah. Was there anybody you reached out to that, that was just not wanting to be part of it that you wished or somebody you like retrospectively wished you would have gotten to, uh, to be an interview part of the book? Um, there was people that ignored me. So I don't know if they were ign- actually ignoring me or they never got my email. So there's that category of people like Tim Armstrong. I, Sure. I called his manager several times and I kept getting in this sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll yeah, well, we'll, we'll, I'll talk to Tim, you know. So I don't know if Tim was ever talked to or not. It's right. it's hard. To, I, I can't really blame him or not, you know. You mentioned slapstick. I kicked myself after for not making slapstick happen. Um, I don't know. I just got too swamped. And I mean, and we interviewed, we interviewed Brendan and, and uh, Rob for the podcast in an episode that's coming up in a few weeks. Um, from the time we're filming this or recording this. So it's not like it was outside of my ability. It's just that I, you know, I think it was just one of those things I overlooked at the time right. where I, w- I wish I w- would have, you know, cause like we, like I told you about the whole epitaph thing, we talked about that, that on the podcast mm-hmm. and it was super, super fascinating story. I would have loved to put that whole episode, you know, that whole them not signing to Epitaph, all their reasoning why and everything that led up to it and resulted of it. That would have been something really cool to include. So with that, uh, your fourth pick, Aaron, would be? I'm going to go with The Selector, Too Much Pressure, and I'm going to go with On My Radio. Nice. Um, I love Two-Tone, actually. I, I, if, you know, if we were just picking best albums all time, I probably would have been like a lot more Two-Tone heavy, but I wanted to spread it out. Those two-tone bands, that two-tone era is like, I think, one of the best moments of of pop music. Those bands were all, every single one of those bands were incredible. Um, I would say almost every album is like a masterpiece. Most of them didn't put out very many albums, especially in the ska period. It was a really, really quick moment of time. And uh, I think The Selector, I feel like, were the best band. And even though The Specials and Madness were like kind of the bigger bands, I think The Selector were... They were the band that took the idea of Jamaican grooves and like punk energy, and they put those things together in like equal measure because those songs have a have a punk energy to them, but they're very, very, very authentic in in terms of being Jamaican sounding. And then it's got a pop songwriting style, you know, like kind of a new wavy sort of thing. So yeah. on the on my radio is like I think. If somebody ever asked me like what's ska? Like they they like they just don't know anything about ska or or maybe they hate ska or whatever. I that's the song I would throw out and say listen to this song. This is a you'll like this song because I think it's just a, an amazing song. 
So you picked a new band for your last pick, and I picked a new band for my fourth pick. All right. Um, my my fourth pick is what I think. I, I love this band. I think that they are one of not that they're newer. I guess they've been around a while, but this album is one of the newer ska records. Um, it's the Interrupters. Uh, the albums fight the good fight, and uh, the song I chose was uh, is not personal. Um, I just think this is a really solid record front to back. Um, mm -hmm. I've played a couple songs off this record uh, in previous episodes. And um, I think like, like I say, they, they had some albums before this and this album, they kind of filled in all the gaps that the other albums had. I, th I feel like just front to back. This is, this is by far their, their best. It's full of just catchy, infectious, fun songs. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good record. So, my next pick is ironically the selector. <laughs> Too much pressure. Ah. And I had on my radio and then I said, I'm gonna pick not their hit. I'm gonna go with Too Much Pressure, which is also their hit. But good song. But you kind of you you kind of touched on everything there. And I think if I was gonna pick a two-tone band, I play, play the specials a lot. I love the specials. The specials are amazing. I mean, that yeah. first album is like a landmark, you know album you can't really argue against that album it's just yeah. a phenomenal record yeah so i figured i'd go with one of the other bands that i love and and the selector would probably be my second favorite two-tone band so mm -hmm. that's the band we already talked about it so too much pressure All off right. too much pressure <laughs> clearly i did not get the memo no <laughs> that okay. would have been cool if we all did that one though on our fourth <laughs> pick <laughs> But we didn't, Aaron. And, uh, <laughs> that's because it's your, down. it's your fifth pick. That's why, right? <laughs> yes. I held out. You said selector. I'm like, I'm moving that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aaron, start us off. The selector. Too much pressure on my radio. Not the selector. The interrupters. <laughs> fight the good fight. Not personal. And? The selector. Too much pressure.
shark in the suit and the water's just right Switchblade, shotgun, baseball bat If it gets the job done, gangsters know that It's business, not personal It's business, not personal
Doug and the Slugs are not going to be on that list. <laughs> you never know. You never know. I might write a top 100 list, and guess what will be on there, Mike? Doug Mike, and the Slugs. Mike and the Mechanics? No, they won't be on there. No. Definitely not. All right, Mike, take it away. Thanks to everyone for listening and for supporting the podcast and for getting in touch with us and sending in lists. Uh, thanks to everyone in the WhatsApp chat for all the riveting conversations about which Rancid album is the best album and why it's Life Won't Wait. <laughs> uh, thanks to Aaron for sending us a book and for reaching out and having this awesome discussion with us and for wasting his time talking with us when he, could be, ly- when he could be lying in bed. <laughs> <laughs> you could check us out on Instagram or on the website, highfives.ca. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us or send in a list, just reach out in one of those ways. Aaron. Alrighty. Um, I'm going to pick uh, Voodoo Glow Skulls album Fermé. Wow. And we're going to go with the song Fat Randy. Oh, because there's a classic. big story. Yeah. That was it's an interesting classic. part of your book. Yeah. The Fat the the, uh, the Fat Randy video shoot that got <laughs> shut down. <laughs> I just can't believe anyone thought that would be successful. <laughs> like yeah. in planning that, who went, yeah, this is going to go off without a hitch. <laughs> I definitely think you have a case of band goes from pretty DIY indie to epitaph and epitaph willing to shovel a bunch of money into video because there was so much money going into videos at that time in the nineties. So I think not seeing, not seeing clearly like the, what, what the ramifications of that would actually be, you know, once you get hundreds of people in this like house and all this food and booze. Yeah. Cause I think that, you know, probably what they were doing before that was so low, such a low scale sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, they they definitely have that that different style of ska too, right? Like I had no idea ska was so massive in like Mexico and like mm-hmm. that they would have huge festivals there or st- not would have, but still do. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a pretty, is there a pretty big scene like that in, in where you live? Um, it's not as big where I live, but in LA, which is about, you know, eight hours south of me, it's a massive scene there. Uh, it's spread out to different Latino, you know, communities in the U.S. But I, I, it's not what it, in in L.A. is where it's biggest in that in that community in this country for sure. I like that in your book, like because I, I didn't know anything about that either. When you went to Mexico and you're talking about the, the crazy festivals and the like, the correlation mm-hmm. between like the communities and ska. And then I also like yeah. the East, the L.A. stuff too was really interesting. Like those sound like fun shows and like like when you're yeah. talking like. It's hard to picture, like just this whole scene of backyards and parks, ska parties. They do clubs too. I mean, it's just a big audience. Yeah. Um, the Voodoo Glow Skulls, they're kind of an interesting thing because they kind of predate that. And they're mm-hmm. from Riverside, which is not, which is sort of like the outskirts of the Southern California area. So they were kind of doing their own thing and they were you know, bringing in Spanish to their music, they're bringing in their culture, the music, uh, um, sort of as they're, uh, almost on their, on their own in a weird way. And so they kind of were an influence of that scene, you know, they were mm-hmm. something a lot of those kids grew up listening to. And, you know, the fact that the Voodoo Skulls did a Spanish version of Spearme was quietly was a big deal 
you know, in my view, it's a big deal. I, I nobody, I've never really heard anyone else say it's a big deal. But when I look at the history of like Spanish albums in the U.S., Spanish rock albums in the U.S., I don't really see much before Voodoo Girl Skulls did it, and they kind of did it as a like, ha, huh, wouldn't it be fun to just re-record our second album in Spanish? Like it wasn't like some big thing to them. They just did it, you know, because it was fun, and you know, they're they they're bilingual, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like, you know, we had Oso Motley in the U.S. get like really, really lots of attention. A lot of like, you know, the NPR crowd really kind of took to them. And that was like years later, you know, like, oh, Spanish, you know, L.A. culture, you know. But the Buda Glosco's put out this punk rock ska album in Spanish in like 96 or 7. That yeah. album was really big in our, the Oso Motley one. It was big at the record store I worked at in the world section. With the yeah. NPR crowd, there were, and I, I didn't really get it as much as I like them. I think they're a great yeah. band, but yeah, it's like it's just funny to me that it's like, of course they're not going to think or think about or give the credit to Voodoo Glow Skulls. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to be. I feel like me writing about them and talking about them is like probably the first real serious write up they've given to like really give them their credit for that record. You know. And I know that album sold really well, the Spanish version. They told me it sold well. It did well. Mm-hmm. People people have come up to them and said, like, oh, yeah, I got your Spanish record is the one I got into. That's the one I got into the band, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I like I liked the, I like their mix of this pretty, like, hardcore, you know, Scott Course type of stuff. I think they were pretty mm-hmm. original. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, like, a different vibe, a different sound yeah. than a lot of the stuff that was coming out at that time. Yeah, really aggressive stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had that chaotic kind of feeling to it too. Yeah. Like it almost felt more punk to me than like mm-hmm. than yeah. I think they felt more aligned with punk for sure. Yeah. Um. So my last pick is uh, not the selector. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is. Uh, this is a band that uh, put out a record in 1996. Uh, not their only one, but the only one I own. Um, this is one of those like, it's a little bit of out of left field, probably my, my least predictable pick, uh, for this episode. I I don't know how I even came into owning this CD. I think somebody gave it to me and it still resides within my CD collection. But like for us here, Aaron, when it stops being really cold and then it starts being really nice or we actually get the sun and we don't have to wear like winter coats anymore. That's when like ska starts to like take over the cars, right? <laughs> Cause it's yeah. like, Oh, birds are here again. They're chirping. The sun is shining. The grass is yellow. The grass is still Brown, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's like the time. And this album definitely comes out and they got a mention in your book. Um, so maybe they're bigger than I think they are. Uh, the band's the Skeletones mm. and, uh, the album's Dr. Bones. Oh yeah. Great album. And again, like, I, I don't know any of their other stuff. It's just this one that I somehow have and have had for a really long time. And, uh, it, it, it's always sticks out to me, especially like I say, around this time of year, again, like kind of a different brand of, of ska. Like I felt like there was more soul in it almost like mm-hmm. they, they had a soulful kind of vibe to it. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know if it's just his voice or if it was, you know, 
filled that way throughout the band but there's there's definitely some soul in there and it was interesting because like i i had not heard anything about this band really ever and then coming across them in the book um where you know it just they kind of had a tragic story in the sense that like you know they they were waiting for that big offer and then the singer had all kinds of throat problems and then it was like the offer just never happened for them. They never kind of caught that wave. They wanted to go with Maverick. Maverick gave them an offer. Um, right. Ma- Maverick weren't uh, uh, essentially passed on them, but they could have been on Mojo, which was the same label that Real Big Fish and Goldfinger were on. And I mean, I don't like, you know, we can't, we can't like know exactly what would have happened, but it seems like had they been on Mojo at the same time that Real Big Fish and Goldfinger were blowing up, it seems like something would have happened with them, even though they were, they sounded so much different. Yeah. Like, I feel like the, I don't want to say they were unknown. Cause I, I don't know, you know, if, if that's, if that's true in the States, but like, I don't feel like they were, I can, I can definitely say with confidence, they weren't as well known as some of the bands yeah. you just mentioned. Right. Yeah, they were um, they were an earlier band. They started in the late '80s. Um, I think they predate the Vudigolskos because they're from Riverside, also. So, yeah, so they might even be mid '80s, honestly, when they started out. Because the Vudigolskos, when they were kids, just starting out, they told me that you know Skeletons were like the local band. You know, everyone loved them. And um, they get into their first album. They're kind of getting a little bit bigger, but yeah, they never really. They just didn't. They just didn't get that big. Ultimately, yeah. Well, well, and then you say that they, so they pass on these offers uh, and then Hellcat comes to them and says, hey, we'll give you a record deal. And they're like, nah, we don't want, we don't want that either. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) It's just like continually Uh, shooting yourself in the foot over and over and over again. I know. And and it's like funny. He kind of laughed about it when he told me about it because he's like, oh, you know, we, we don't want to be attached to the whole punk rock thing. It's like, right. yeah, but it's like Hellcat released the Slackers. They released mm-hmm. uh, Hepcat. It was like <laughs> they were taking some of the lesser punk type ska bands. So it actually would have been a perfect fit for them. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, and Hellcat had very much like it's it, a sound, right? Like mm-hmm. similar to like what Fat Records had in like the mid 90s, right? Like mm-hmm. you heard a band from Hellcat. You knew that band was on Hellcat. I think Tim was trying to make that more ska sounding. Like he wasn't going for the real big fish sounding bands. He was no. going for the bands that were a little bit more in tune with the Jamaican groove. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like he really wanted to showcase that. I mean, there was exceptions to that and stuff, but that was, I think a big part of what he was about with Hellcat. Michael. I picked a new band because I thought we should highlight a new band as well. And it's, we are the union. And nice. I think they're one of the bands that's kind of like leading the charge in the, mm-hmm. In the new tone thing. <laughs> um, and I think we talked a little bit about it before, but I was trying to say like, they seem to have respect in the punk rock circles too, which is yeah, like yeah. kind of a, makes it okay for some people to like it all of a sudden. Like people that be like, that might, <laughs> might laugh at Ska, might be like, oh yeah, but not those guys. It's kind of weird. Like mm-hmm. they're the first bands I kind of, one of the first bands I heard being like mentioned again, like playing shows like Fest or something like that. And you're like, oh, that's cool. No, they're not making getting made fun of. Like they're actually like people want to see them. That's awesome. So yeah. I figured I'd go with them. I was torn because I wanted to go with their cover of uh, "You're Dead," which is the theme for what we do in the shadows and Vampire Ska, because it, I thought it brought up uh, it tied in that thing from your book. You're talking about how like TV shows like make fun of ska and Vampire Ska is a thing. Then in, in one of the episodes where there's a ska band playing at a party and they're yeah. playing it. 
really cheesy song called Vampire Ska. <laughs> but I figured I should go with one of their better songs. So I went uh, with The Long Way off their album Self Care, which came out in 2018. Nice. And it also, uh, it was an album, so I wouldn't have screwed up. Because if I would have went with You're Dead, it was just a single. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, we're at the last pick and you're still talking about is it an album or a song <laughs> <laughs> and to tie it back uh, Jeremy Hunter's trombone player of that band yes I love too I think like uh, some of the videos they've been making and some of the stuff they've been doing online I think they're really um, playing with the idea of people's I- ideas of ska you know mm-hmm. kind of the way people make a ska joke and they're kind of like Push, throwing it back at them. They're kind of like making a joke out of the way people make ska joke. Mm-hmm. I, I really like, I really love a lot of those videos and a lot of the, some of the the ways they do the Kickstarter campaigns and all that stuff. Yeah. I really like their song that they did taking a shot at like punk rock elite, but that's mm-hmm. not, it wasn't really a ska song, but I thought that was really clever. Well, Aaron, thanks for spending the time with us. Uh, good luck with the book, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Do you want to let us know when it actually comes out? Cause I think uh, it was May 4th. Is the official release date? It's on Clash Books, right? On Clash Books, ClashBooks.com. You can get it, or you can just get it at Amazon. Or yeah, I'd also check out my podcast, In Defense of Ska, that I do with Adam Davis. We have uh, some good episodes coming up that I'm uh, excited for people to hear. Are you doing an audio version of the book, Aaron? <laughs> uh, I think I'm. I'm gonna just. I want to work on that this summer. That's my answer. Yeah, I, I I want to, and as soon as I get past this initial glut of promo that's going to be on my list top priority and have you landed on who is going to read your book aaron <laughs> who's going to read my book who are you asking yeah. who my audience is no uh like who who oh, will be the me. voice for the audio <laughs> me of course <laughs> who's going to read my voice but who's going to read my book but me well, i'm i'm trying to pitch me as oh. as being your voice aaron. well you can send me some recordings of yourself reading the book and then as your audition so one more time, tell us your pick for number five. Voodoo Glow Skulls, Fear May, Fat Randy. The Skeletones from the album Dr. Bones, Take the Time, The Things You Chose. And? We are the union, the long way off self-care. Stay cool and be excellent to each other. Thanks for listening, guys.
Oh, did we pick albums? I thought it was songs. Oh, I told him songs. It was songs. I told oh, him songs. Can, Sorry, can... Nate. Okay. I told him songs, Nate. It's my bad. I picked songs too. I don't know if I picked <laughs> albums either. So, how many times did you pick Real Big Fish? Oh, like a hundred times. A hundred. There's no. only five. You only get five chances. <laughs> Zero times. <laughs> oh, I was hoping you'd pick them at least once. <laughs> I mean. I can if you want, but no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I want the real list. Mike's already <laughs> fucked this up enough. <laughs>